Hi, this is Fair Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. So this is part of my podcast series where I interview attorneys who focus primarily on the military community. Many, but not all of the attorneys are former military JAGs, but they all have one thing in common, and that's a passion for helping the military community. I am very excited to to be speaking to attorney Shannon James today. Everyone has a different reason for wanting to become a lawyer, but Shannon's journey is fascinating. Becoming a lawyer was a second career for Shannon. She had an innocent family member who was facing a court-martial, so she decided to go to law school to prevent that from happening. It worked, and as a result, Shannon became fascinated with military law. Shannon clerked at a civilian law firm that handled military law, and when she graduated from law school, she became an associate and eventually a managing partner of that law firm. While working at the firm, Shannon was first introduced to the Public Health Service Commission Corps. And Shannon then decided to start her own law firm. And when she did, she decided she wanted to focus on public health service officers and help them with adverse administrative law matters they were facing. Commission Corps officers work in underserved areas, and Shannon felt it was important that they had an advocate who understood their sacrifices. Shannon works with a team of dedicated people who are passionate about the clients they serve. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with attorney Shannon James, and I'm going to introduce you to her shortly. Hi, Shannon. So good to be talking to you today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and we're going to learn a really interesting aspect of your career. So, Shannon, um, I already actually re- introduced you to our listeners. So they know about your impressive background, and I know you have a very unique practice area, and frankly, one I had never actually encountered before. But before, before we discuss your very special clients and what you do to help them, um, can you tell us a little, I know, when, know you went to law school after initial career in the airline industry. So what made you want to attend law school after a, like a full initial career? Well, I um, actually had an innocent family member that was facing a court, court martial. And so I went to law school to try and prevent that from happening. Wow, that, that is amazing. And, and what was the result? Well, it they ended up not going to court-martial, but I was um, bit by the military law bug since then. Wow. What a, what a passion. What a reason to go to law school. That is amazing. And you were successful. And then you ended up finishing law school. And, uh, and so what age were you when you were attending law school? Well, I started um, really late in life. So I, when I graduated from law school, I was 50. So um, I had gone, you know, it was a second career. So it was, I was pretty much the oldest person there. Wow. Wow. How was that going to law school with people, you know, I'm sure predominantly just having graduated college in most cases. You know, it was fun. It was fun being around um, all the energy and, you know, it was kind of a level playing field as far as we were all new to law school. Uh, I did, I was, you know, had some life experience, which really, really helped and helped me to keep certain things um, in perspective. And I wasn't really trying to figure out what I wanted to do with it or where I wanted to go. And so that was interesting to watch younger people trying to figure out, you know, what law school was, what it was going to do for them, where they wanted to take it. 
And so I had kind of a unique perspective coming in and having that life experience and then pretty much knowing what I wanted to do. Yeah, that that is great. And so in motivated based on your life experience to, to become a lawyer and it was a passion for you, unlike maybe some of the students who kind of said, oh, I don't know what to do after college, so I'm going to go to law school. So that really, right. um, that that's that's awesome. And I know, I, I'm sure you did add a unique perspective. I know I went to law school and had some uh, people who went to law school part-time at night because I took some evening classes at the law school in New York City. And the the students who worked full-time, like they had full-time jobs as either police officers or working on law school at Wall Street. And then they would like go to school at night. So they're, they, I think, finished in like four years. But they just added such a great perspective to the, the law school and my experience. So I really enjoyed that. So I'm sure you did as well. And uh, I could see it was an awesome experience for you as well, probably for the other students um, who interacted with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I got a lot from the younger students and hopefully I imparted um, something valuable to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Life lessons and all that. Um, so, right. yeah. So Shannon, now, you know, when we were talking about what you did, I was really um, amazed because I had never even heard of the clients you served. I know your practice focuses on what's called the commissioned core officers in the public health service. So they're part of the public health service, but what do these commissioned core officers do? Like what are their career fields? Well, some of the career fields in the commission core, since they're dedicated to public health, you know, it includes medical, dental, behavioral health, among other specialties. So the core itself falls under the public health service, but their whole goal is um, and focus for the commission core is on public health service. So, okay, you know, I was just wondering if some of I, you know, how sometimes some military members or or civilians they go to um, these the military medical schools because then they go to law, uh, med school for free. You know, the, the they have one in like Bethesda, I believe. I, I forget the name of it, but they have some military, yeah. USP, I forget what the name is. I wonder if some of these officers do that because they get their education paid for. Do you know? I just thought of that. I'm wondering if that's part of it or is it just the reason they want to serve that in the public health service? Well, I think it's, it could be, it could be either of those. I know that the Commission Corps does offer um, some education benefits as well. And um, it's, you know, it's interesting because the Commission Corps, they're part of the uniform services. So that would include the other armed services. So they have, you know, a lot of the policies, procedures, regulations, you know, they are similar to what you'll see if you're doing administrative law for um, an armed service member as well. Okay. Okay. So they're under the public health service. They're not, and they wear uniforms, but they're not under the department of defense, the armed forces. I think similar to, I had to learn like the coast guard, their uniform services, but they're not under the DOD. They're under the department of Homeland security. So, and, and they wear obviously uniforms, et cetera. So, so how, um, how did you actually, what made you focus on this group of office, uh, this group of people to help and focus your practice on? Well, you know, when I decided to start the firm, I knew that I wanted to have a focus area for the public health service. Um, they work in underserved areas, and I felt that that was kind of an, the public health service itself, the Commission Corps, 
they were just, not only do they serve in underserved communities, but they're kind of an underserved agency. And so these officers, I felt, needed an advocate and a voice. And I'm not sure that there are a lot of law firms that handle military law that are really, like we discussed, familiar with what they do and um, the challenging environment that these officers are working in. Where do they, where are they assigned to? Are there like different base? Like where exactly are they assigned to in the States or, or overseas? I don't know if they're assigned overseas, but where, are, where can you typically find these members living? So more of the, the officers can be sent to various agencies, various federal agencies, maybe the Indian Health Service, Bureau of Prisons. Um, some of them work for DHS or ICE. Um, so they're kind of, they can also go overseas. So let's say if there's a, a virus outbreak, Ebola, Zika, something like that, they can be sent to work in those areas as well. Um, but what can be difficult for PHS officers is that one, you know, most of these areas are fairly remote that they get sent to and, and over the, you know, all over the United States. Um, and the other part of it is, is they might be working for civilians, you know, not working with other Commission Corps officers. And so those civilians may not have an understanding of how the Commission Corps works, you know, when they're rating an officer and they're um, putting together an evaluation. And, you know, as you know, an evaluation in the uniform services can make or break a career. And so um, I feel that that's another reason why we really wanted to have a focus area in the firm for these officers. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. So, so what kind of, like, what kind of cases do you get? Like, what are these, what do they get in trouble for? Like in the military, there's like tons of different, you know, things people are allegedly do. What do the, what kind of cases do they um, have to, that you interact and help these officers with? Well, EEO complaints, um, getting an adverse core, which is their evaluation. Um, so we work on rebuttals, you know, because it's something that's becoming a part of an officer's file. And so it's very important that the information is accurate, that it's, you know, it's going to make or break their career. And so we also do complaints and uh, requests for redress, which is, it's similar to the other services where you might have, um, you know, an article 1150, say for the Navy, it's, it's kind of something comparable to that, that we'll be helping them with. Okay. So it's, it seems Shannon, while you're focusing on this one group of people, these uh, public health service commission core officers, your practice is really it's varied. Like you, you do ever like if they get in trouble, for example, allegedly, you know, EO issue or other type of reprimand, any uh, adverse action or bad report. So you're, you're doing a lot of different practice areas, but your, your client is, is the public health service officers. That's what it seems like. Right. Right. And just like the um, other services have their board for corrections or um, you know, in the other services, I think it's called the, the, medical disability boards, they have a medical affairs branch. So if, if an officer is maybe facing separation um, for a medical issue, we'll also assist on that. So it's a wide range, but all within the commission core and um, the various remedies and avenues for relief that are offered to them. 
Wow. So your, your practice area is really wide ranging. If you're helping with, um, you know, disability, you know, medical issues, et cetera. I mean, I don't even delve into those areas because I don't have expertise, but you have expertise in all these areas. That's, that's fantastic. They're lucky to, to have someone like you help them since you're knowledgeable about all the areas. Do they have, um, Shannon, do they get like any type of counsel, like an active duty, you know, there's a defense counsel that's free available, or do they ever have any avenue to get free assistance, like a military or civilian counsel? Sure. Like, well, in the other services, as you know, you um, get an access to a JAG. And so unless commission corps officers are detailed to an armed service, they're not going to get that. They won't be subject to the UCMJ either because they fall under, instead of Title 10, it is, they're primarily governed by the Public Health Service Act, which is Title 42. So they don't get access to a free JAG attorney like the other services. And so they need to hire outside counsel. Okay, so then you, you touched on the area. So some of these public self officers might actually be assigned to a a military type command where they are under title 10, if that's what that, that's how I understood you saying that. Right, right. They could be detailed to an armed service. And so it, and that can make it somewhat interesting, very interesting issues because we have had clients who were detailed to one of the armed services. And then you need to use those procedures, say like an article 1150, if someone's, um, detailed to uh, the Navy, mm-hmm. let's say, mm-hmm. and then you follow that procedure. So you have the teeth of the UCMJ, which can be really helpful if your client obviously is on the right side of that. But when you're dealing with the other agencies, say, you know, for instance, the Navy in this example, you know, the Navy can somewhat kick it back to the public health service and say, hey, you know, here's your officer and we're going to give it back to you for you to investigate. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's an interesting area of law and I find it fascinating, but also for these officers, you know, they're kind of, because they're sent to these other agencies, it can be kind of isolating and a little bit frustrating, I think, because you don't have the teeth of your normal chain of command there with you to help you in these situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like uh, it's just really a very specific um, group of people that most people haven't heard of. Do you, so when you help these officers, do you you said some of their supervisors, most of their supervisors, I guess, are civilians. And are they all part of the U.S. Public Health Service or not necessarily? Not necessarily. So they can be, you know, um, working for whatever agency and as a civilian. And so they are, the public health service officers are sent into these really remote locations and the civilian leadership may not have an understanding that, you know, what looks like a very, you know, wonderful evaluation on the civilian side might not help an officer in the commission corps. And so the scoring can be different. The understanding of what makes an evaluation positive or what makes it look less positive can be very different. And so that can be frustrating for officers and, and I think for their chain of command as well, because they're not necessarily well-versed in, in what makes an outstanding evaluation as opposed to an evaluation that 
you know, is just kind of middle of the road. And so I think educating people is really, really important uh, as far as the public health service is concerned. These officers really um, go into challenging environments in the first place. And I think that it kind of exacerbates it if you do have leadership that doesn't have a very strong understanding of how the system for the commission core works, their evaluation system. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, they could be a great officer, but if they have a supervisor who's like clueless, not maybe intentionally, but they don't know. Right, how to write. You know, right. just like in the military, we, you know, there's certain, you know, you get, we get officer uh, performance reports and if they're written, I mean, there's words they use and this and stratification, like things that right. will affect whether you get promoted. So I could see um, that could really screw them and uh, put them at disadvantage. So, so right. is that and when then you they'll miss a promotion based yeah. on an evaluation that a supervisor may think sounds wonderful? Yeah, yeah, with like flowery work. Wow. So, how do you help in a case like that? Someone gets an evaluation, which, like, let's say the supervisor had no idea they were like screwing the person by writing something that's totally, <laughs> totally, um, you know, they didn't intend to, but they, um, what do you do? So, they call you, and then what, what do you have to do? Do you then like contact the supervisor? And like, how do, how do you advocate for someone in that situation, Shannon? Well, the, the policy in place right now, the procedure is to file a complaint and request for redress, which starts at the, as an informal complaint. Mm -hmm. And so it gives, you know, if it is a situation like you were saying, where it was just something the officer or rather the um, supervisor didn't really understand, it gives them an opportunity to correct it at that lowest level. And mm -hmm. then if it is something a little bit that's, you know, not necessarily ignorance on the part of the supervisor, and maybe it's something, you know, more malevolent, um, then it goes to, it'll go to the formal process. And that will work its way up the chain of command, mm -hmm. just like in the other services where when you file, you know, a complaint or a grievance, it does, it follows the same procedure at the if it's denied at each level, so it goes through three levels, if it's denied at that last level, then it goes up to the office of the Surgeon General. So that's different, I think, in the other services, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you know, but I think it may go to the to the secretary level, but this goes to the Surgeon General. Yeah, 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 they, it doesn't go to the, even the medical issue, you know, medical officers, it doesn't go to Surgeon General, that's just the functional. Um, so yeah, it's very different. So how do you, um, what most of your practice, is it mostly where you're writing, advocating for your clients in writing or half of the time, are you calling people? Like what kind of, like for me in my work, I mostly, I'm writing things and helping people interpret, you know, investigations, et cetera, and writing, helping them, you know, write responses or writing legal memos. And, you know, once in a while it does involve, you know, calling someone and, you know, asking questions, but it's mostly a written product that I have to help the member provide in response to whatever action they're facing. In your case, what percentage is, is orally advocating for them versus writing, you know, helping them write rebuttals or et cetera? Right. I would say probably 95% is written. Mm -hmm. um, I wish we had more opportunities uh, for hearings, say at the board for corrections. Those are you know, as a general rule, just like the other services, you know, denied, heavily denied, you know, saying that it's not necessary. Um, it's a lot of writing, a lot of fact finding, um, FOIA requests, SF 180s, the, 
the standards that you use for the other services apply here as well. It's, it's just gathering all that information and trying to put it together and present the, the information as best we can. And that's especially heavy when you're going to the board for correction. So I know you do those cases as well and, and that just putting everything together on the front end, packaging it and getting it there. We just, you know, the hearings you'll, you'll get on the medical side for the medical affairs branch on occasion, but it's just not as many, as many opportunities to um, go and present their case in person as I would like. I, oh. I like that. I like putting the person up there and I think it's important for um, boards to see the officer. Yeah. Yeah. And they can evaluate their, yeah, I, I agree. In a lot of cases, it's an advantage to have a person in per present there so that people can evaluate their, you know, their candor, et cetera, and they can uh, present their story. So, so the, then the public health service, they also have a public, I mean, a board for correction of military records, like the other services. I, I had never heard that as well. So they do, they do. And it, it operates under the same authority as the other service boards, boards the hmm. USC 1552. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Huh. I have to go look at that statute again to see, cause I must've missed it. It probably mentions that. I'm sure it does, well, and I never really yeah, looked at it. Yeah, it's extended. I don't know if it's in 1552 <laughs> per se, but it is extended to members of the Public Health Service Commission Corps, and that's through 42 USC. Okay. So, but these, yeah. for the Board for Correction Military Records, they don't, for all the, you know, services that I help, they don't have, a, actually, you can, that you know, it. They you can have an opportunity for a personal hearing, but it's rare. It rarely you like I, I've never heard of a case where actually someone did. How about with the public health service for these boards? Is it all written applications or is there any uh, opportunity for the member to appear before, you know, the board members? Generally, the hearings are denied just like the other services. OK, and yeah. there is no discharge review board for the public health service. And so um, and I know. On the armed services side, I think you get, you know, that opportunity um, as far as a hearing. But yes. this is the same. Yeah, this board for correction is pretty much on par with the other services in which they don't grant hearings. I, I haven't heard of one yet. So and I know it's extremely rare on the um, armed services side as well. Yeah, very, very rare. Yeah. But on the form, I always tell the client, we always check the box saying, want to right. hear you it. Right. You always but, ask for yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You can't hurt. Yeah. But it, yeah, never. I mean, they, uh, yeah, doesn't happen. So, well, how about, so are these members ever able to, can they be court-martialed? Well, they could be court-martialed when they're detailed to an armed service. Okay, like and, you said, yeah. okay, before. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So they, that's when they are subject to the UCMJ. Um, I think it's under the same Public Health Service Act that they also could be considered a military service, but that would be, you know, an emergency order by the president. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to the other armed services. You know, they, they might be called back if there was a, an emergency, a national emergency, um, even for retired public health service officers, they have the same as the armed services that they could be called back to active duty if there were a national emergency and, um, you know, was declared by the president. Okay. So in, uh, that, in that regard, mm -hmm. you know, they're very similar to the other services. Okay. 
So, so in that regard, then do these officers, I'm assuming they have maybe like four year commit when they start, I don't know if they sign up for like four years or how many years, or they can serve more, but if they separate, do they get a DD-214 just like they active do duty now. members do? Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah, is that they a, do a now. Thing? And that started, I think in 2020, I believe. So they get that, they get a, a lot of the same benefits, you know, the GI bill, um, the oh, same as the awesome. other services, okay. right, mm-hmm. right. And they're like, you know, the other, um, uniform service is NOAA, the, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, national, um, oceanic atmospheric. I heard of that, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the other uniform service. And I, I don't really, I haven't really interacted a lot with them, but that's one of the other armed services. I mean, uniform services rather. And my understanding is they're getting, you know, a lot of the same benefits as the other services as well. Okay. Yeah. I heard of them, but I did not know they were part of the uniform service. Wow. There's a lot to learn. I'm going to Google them after. To, 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 that, <laughs> right. So that's another, not, that's another group of clientele that you could help. Uh, I mean, you probably have your hands full with these other types, but well, I, yeah, I definitely heard of them, but did not know. That's amazing. That's all the things I didn't know. Yeah, and I, and them. I feel like they don't necessarily get their, you know, their due for what they, you know, the work, and the services that they provide, you know, and in the other services, if you're, and this is kind of a a general, you know, my general take on it, you might have a sponsor, you know, you're working with people most of the time in your own, in your own branch. And so you have a clear understanding of how, you know, for instance, say you're in the Air Force, you know how the Air Force works, everybody knows how the Air Force works. And so Everybody in your chain of command knows they they know that flowery language that you could put in an evaluation that, you know, might be not helpful or helpful. And so, in you know, some of the services they have what they call like the sponsor, someone who's kind of looking out for you and your career. And I think that these officers, the commission core officers, you know, they might be in a, in a remote area by themselves. And so you're, you don't have as much interaction necessarily with your headquarters and, and with other officers that can sometimes help you to one, not feel, you know, kind of alone in what you're dealing with. And then also to feel that you kind of have that, that ally that has your back. And so some of my clients will express that, that, you know, they, they feel somewhat on their own and and it's it's difficult for them to navigate and it's overwhelming generally obvious you know when someone's coming to a lawyer they're usually in a situation that they're it's not a a happy time and so um, that's one thing i think that they don't necessarily get the credit for for the work that they do and um, the type of work they do and the areas that they serve i really feel strongly about that and and about the commission core i think I think they do a wonderful job. Well, yeah. When you said sponsor, like we also in the military had sponsors, not, not also like necessarily like the mentor, but sponsor every time you had a new assignment, which we have a lot. Like, I think I've had like 10 assignments in 22 years, moved around, but we had sponsors where we, before we went to that assignment, the person that was there, either you're taking their place or, or someone who's there, they would, you know, write you a letter, help you if you're going to be a place where you don't have on-base housing. They would find housing, help you find housing. And, you know, they, they were just very helpful in terms of 
getting you, you know, everything you needed before you got there and gave you all the information. So, yeah, they should hope maybe uh, the public health service should kind of follow the armed services in that uh, sense and trying to help these people who are, you know, studying some medical field and then end up somewhere. It seems like they don't maybe have all the support they need um, from that end, too. So but I thought of it when you're talking about sponsors, because. Yeah, sponsors were like, you got that letter right away. You got an assignment and you had a letter from your sponsor telling you, oh, welcome yeah, like to beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, welcome to this beautiful, Avi- you know, like Aviano Air Base or wherever you're going to. And um, yeah, so. But they do yeah. have liaisons. Commi- mm-hmm. The Commission Corps does have the liaisons, which are Commission Corps officers. But, you know, they're liaising between the agency that, that the officer is working at and it's also with the public health service. And so I think sometimes officers can kind of confuse the liaison um, relationship as one being as the officer's advocate, but they're really going in between the agency and the public health service. And so they're not necessarily advocating for the officer. And so I think sometimes that, that can be confusing when they think, you know, I'm gonna talk to my liaison and explain my situation and then they'll, they'll help me with it. and then they realize that, you know, they'll get a letter of reprimand, something like that. And they'll realize that the liaison consulted on that as well. And so that can be kind of an education for officers in, you know, kind of helping them understand what that role is and what it isn't. Okay. Yeah. So Shannon, so you said, which I don't think the other services necessarily has something like that. That's similar. I think it's more, you know, you have your sponsor and they kind of help you get your feet wet and and adjust to, to the new assignment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, we, we don't have that liaison um, that they have. But so if these officers then um, get a DD-214 now when they separate, I guess if they serve 20 years, they get, they basically can retire, right? After 20 years? And does that mean right. they get like a pension like we do? Right, it's it's just just like the other services now. And so prior to, I think, 2020, I can't remember the, the form number, um, but they had another type of form, but now they are getting DD-214s. And I think that helps because, you know, they're eligible for VA benefits, things like that. And if you go in, you know, you're an officer, you're in this uniform service, you know, people aren't necessarily as familiar with it. You go into the VA or you're trying to get your, you know, GI Bill benefits. When you have these different forms, I think it's confusing for these agencies in trying to process you. So I think that's so important that they are getting, you know, more like more in line with the other services. Mm-hmm. And so that way they're not always this kind of anomaly when an officer, you know, the commission courts, I think it's about 6,000 officers, something like that. So it's not, it's not giant. And so when these officers go and they retire and they have these benefits, I think it's nice to have something really kind of um, familiar to the agencies to help to process them. Yeah. Um, You know, in talking to you, you like you're like, as I said, you're probably the only person actually I've ever met. um, Not in (laughs) person. I haven't met you yet. I know you virtually. I feel I know you. But I, I actually, a lot of a lot of the people I interview, I've never met them. Uh, some of them I, I know. But anyway, but Shannon, but you are like the expert, like you are the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Court, like the expert in this area. What a, uh, you know, a niche area, but you do, um, you know, so many 
different things and helping these officers. What's the most satisfying aspect of helping these? I, you, you kind of alluded to it a bit, but helping these commission core members, what's, what do you get the greatest satisfaction out of, um, you know, your job advocating for them? Well, you know, um, I love being an advocate for someone who may feel like they have the full weight of the government against them. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand how that feels. And so I'm really passionate about, about helping the officer because I understand. And, and I understand what it's like to feel as if you're alone in that kind of circumstance. And I think everybody at our firm, you know, they have their own story and their own reason, but all of it is about being passionate about helping people to navigate these systems and to know that you have an advocate and you're not alone. Yeah, no, I, I can relate to that. I, and I love when you say navigate, that's so true because, you know, I deal with also in my practice, um, you know, I've helped veterans and um, now I've kind of focus on officers uh, who are on active duty going through what's called an officer grade determination. And they are the brightest, you know, officers you could ever talk to and just and d- did wonderful things for their country. Like you could just right. tell by looking at their records, but they have no clue on how to navigate what they're dealing with. And it's it gives me such great satisfaction to kind of help them focus on what they need to do because they don't they don't understand, you know, the process. So I, I can relate to your feeling of just that of helping someone, you know, fight injustice. And in the cases that I help the members with, I believe they're facing, you know, facing these processes that, you know, by regulation have to happen, but I feel it's unjust. And that is, is just a wonderful feeling. It, it is the greatest feeling. So I could relate to you a hundred percent. Your podcast Farah, is so helpful because it informs ser- service members and attorneys alike on this on this process and where to start it gives people an an idea of where to start and you know before you go to the board for corrections and you know this you have to exhaust your administrative remedies and it's important for people that they have an idea of one it's just where do i start and two how you know what is the what is the process and i think people our clients coming to us a lot of them don't have the answers to either of those. And I think that's so valuable to be able to present to people. And so I just, I really appreciate your podcast for that, for educating uh, veterans and service members. I think that's just invaluable. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoy it so much. And I, I enjoy, you know, doing it solo podcasts where I talk about different things that come up. And I also uh, enjoy talking to attorneys who are experts in areas that I I'm not familiar with and, and, and just getting to meet the people like you. So um, I, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk on the podcast because now lots of people are going to, um, they're going to learn about the U S public health service commission core members that they <laughs> never heard so. of like me. Like I had right. never heard of it. So I now I'm so. going to look when I go to the military, I'm going to look to see, Hey, I'm going to look at their uniforms and try to figure, I wonder if they're actually public health service officers. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's, it's so, I, I love learning. So this is, I, I, you know, it's when I talk to attorneys like you, I get to learn as well. So, um, but yeah, but thank you for that. Um, I, I really do enjoy the podcast. Um, so Shannon, I, I know what you bring to the fight. You help people navigate um, the process and help them respond to actions who are, where they're in unjust and, kind of you're in their corner, right? You're in the member's corner and helping guide them. And and I think just that factor of knowing they have someone who is an expert in this area gives them peace of mind. I know that's 
kind of what I, you know, the feedback I get, a lot of the clients like feel like, okay, they, you know, I have someone who knows what they're doing, helping me and they're not as anxious, you know, cause it's an anxious right. feeling get right. When you're dealing with these things that could be career ending. So I, I'm sure right. you feel and, and that and as well, having, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's the unknowns for people um, that really, it's, it's obviously, you know, the adverse implications. And then to, on top of that, to have those unknowns. Yeah. 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 And, and, and helping them say, okay, this is what could happen. Yeah. So here's what it looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, you know, in some cases on <clears throat> cases I've dealt with sometimes, um, you know, especially if they're active duty or whatever, sometimes we help the members mitigate, right? Like there, something might've happened, but we help as lawyers explain, well, this might've happened, but here is the reason why. And so that advocacy sometimes is not like, well, they didn't do X, Y, or Z, but here's why it happened. So we try to mitigate that punishment. And sometimes, Shannon, like sometimes people are completely innocent of offense uh, that they're accused of and they have to respond. How do you work with the clients to like clear their name or to, to show they're innocent of, you know, of whatever they were accused of uh, for these public health service officers? Well, I think it starts with um, getting gathering all the facts and then presenting that presenting them as a person. Um, they're they're officers and they're held to a very high standard. But there are some things that, you know, if you look at it, if a board looks at it holistically, they'll understand, oh, you know, this is this is what they were facing. They're human beings. And so um, I think it's important to show that this, you know, the officer may have made a mistake, but if you looked at the full surrounding circumstance, circumstances for the officer's case, you would understand why he would have made that mistake, he or she yeah. would have made that mistake. And, um, and so I think providing that as a full view for whatever board it might be in front of is very, very important. Yeah. Yeah, which clients don't know how to do on their own because they're not they're not trained as lawyers. So how would right. they, right? Like you know, it's right. Like they're brilliant, as I always say. Like that, you look at their record and they're brilliant, but they don't know because they're not trained in that. Um, and I think you know the the supervisors or the commanders you present this to once they see it, like they're hopefully reasonable people and will say, okay, here, you know, I always say, here's the rest of the story. Like, here's what you don't know, right. About this. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's important. And then also, you know, in, it's always a dream if you can find something that was missed, say uh, a procedure, something like that. And, and not to say that somebody, you know, that did something wrong should, um, you know, like they show on TV, get off on a technicality, except very rarely happens, but um, you know, that there was a procedure missed and some opportunity that this officer should have had that they did not have and that that should should be taken into account. I think that's all also very, very valuable. That's true. Yeah. The, the procedural thing. What we love when we find stuff like that, too. Right. If there was some procedural right. things. That, well, not that it's not good. It happened, but that could help the clients if they, you know, some right was and violated. Could, and it could show. Yeah. And absolutely. And it's also you know, it's, it, it goes towards mitigation, you know, this, this issue could have been dealt with back here, but because these were missed, you know, this procedural um, right was missed, you know, the client didn't have the opportunity to correct it back then. And so I think that's very important to try to put forth 
for the um, for the officer so that you can really mitigate or just kind of help to understand the circumstance. Yeah. Shannon, in talking to you, it's so obvious that, you know, as far as your reason you went to law school, you had a passion to fight, you know, in an injustice. And now you're helping these um, commission corps officers fight injustice in, in all the different things they face. And um, you were like, what a, an expert in this area. Um, so I wanted, so it's very obvious, you're very passionate. And that's, you know, always, not all lawyers are passionate about what they do. Like some people are go into some area of law and they kind of do and got stuck in it. But it's it's nice when you talk to to lawyers who are passionate about what they do, like you obviously are. Um, and most of the military lawyers I talk to have a passion for that, you know, yeah, fighting injustice for whatever, whatever reason, like they, they got into it. But uh, Shannon, what I like to um, end my podcast with, I like to ask the lawyers one last question, which is, we all know that, you know, law matters affect life matters. They're intertwined, right? You can't, when you're facing a legal matter, it's going to affect your wife, your life. What, um, what life lesson can you share as it pertains to your practice of law that would be beneficial to our listeners? You know, I would say when it's your reputation and your character on the line, you need to fight. Whether or not you hire an attorney, that doesn't matter. But really, you know, what do you have besides your your reputation? And so I think it's important that um, people remember that that is valuable and that they need to do everything they can to protect it. Yeah, that is definitely. And that's what you're fighting for in all the cases you're um, you're handling as I am, because if people are you right. know, accused of different things, you know, we have to show well, here's why this happened or here's why this didn't happen. So that is a great answer and a great perspective. And uh, thank you so much, Shannon. I so enjoyed talking to you, so enjoyed learning about the uniformed, uh, well, I'm trying to now, the USPHS Commission Corps Officer. It's such a long acronym. You know, in the military, I mean, these acronyms, I can't keep track of all of them, but it's so obvious you are such an expert in this area. And thank you so much for for sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, yeah, let me just, one last thing. Do you, is it, are these the only type of clients you take? I looked at your website. You have a really nice website and I was looking at it, but, and all the different aspects, but do you, do you ever take any other clients from, let's say the army? Or, we you know, do. Oh, we you do. do. From okay. the other services. Yeah. We, this is just really one of our major focus areas because of, we feel that it's an underserved service. Okay. Okay. So for the listeners, so she, she does. Um, so you have the focus on this and definitely the expertise in this area, but you also do, you know, based on your caseload, the firm's caseload, you can help people from other services with, uh, okay. Okay, great. Well, again, thank you so much, Shannon, for your time. I so appreciate it. And, uh, and we will be in touch and I look forward to, uh, touching base with you again in the future. So take care. Thanks again, Shannon. Thank you, Farah. Take care. Bye-bye. So I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with attorney Shannon James as much as I enjoyed uh, speaking with her. It was really fascinating to hear about her journey, why she went to law school after her first um, career in the airline industry, and really enjoyed learning about the U.S. Public Health Service Commission, um, 
commissioned core officers. Um, these are the clients she focuses on. She helps others as well, but this is her focus area in her practice. Um, and she talked about how she helps them fight injustice for all the different things they experience. So it was really neat to kind of learn about that whole public health service. Um, as I said, I never had really heard about it. Uh, maybe I ran into someone like that. They uh, mostly work in the medical field, but really interesting. And it's, it's a really, um, amazing, fascinating niche that she practices in. <clears throat> and uh, I definitely learned a lot and I hope you did too. So it's very obvious that Miss uh, James has an absolute passion for, you know, really fighting injustice. And that's what we all do as military law attorneys. If we feel there's some injustice, some legal error, um, that's where we step in and try to help navigate the cases and help navigate um, and, and kind of keep our clients informed on the best way to handle their issues. So, um, you know, as I always say, regardless of <coughs> what legal issue you're facing, it's always good to get an expert opinion when you're facing a difficult legal issue in your life. Consulting with an attorney, um, I believe that really specializes in a certain matter, will give you insight into your legal issue. And the attorney will really help you come up with a strategic plan to resolve the matter. Um, you know, give you advice to kind of navigate it and resolve the issue because ignoring a problem usually doesn't make it go away. Sometimes it could, but usually it doesn't. And it's kind of, you know, no matter how difficult it can seem when you're confronted head on with smart counsel on your side, you really get some peace of mind. And I, I think the most important closure on the issue one way or the other, because you might decide not to pursue the matter uh, based on perhaps consulting with an attorney. So, um, yeah, I'd also ask you, please share the podcast with other people who you think can benefit. We talk about a lot of different topics, as you can see. Um, if you're willing, I'd really love if you can give it a five-star rating on iTunes. It's pretty easy. Just go on the iTunes app on your iPhone or your Android. And if you click on the podcast itself, there's a way to just give that a five-star review. And if you want to write an actual review as well, you can do that as well. And uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that. I look forward to talking to you again. But in the meantime, as I always say, remember, never, ever give up because there is always hope. Talk to you next time. Take care.